Please just stand with me one moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, a bit like Sandra, I'm somewhat overwhelmed by worship today. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Jesus. moment to make room in your life, in your heart, for the Holy Spirit, for God Almighty, to fill you anew, to fill you afresh. Make room, make room, make room. You know, as we were singing that last song, what was coming to me was when the crowd was in front of Jesus one day, he turned to them and he said this, if any man comes to me, I will not cast him away. Any man. He didn't say any lost man, any saved man, any Jew, any Greek, any Muslim. He just said any man. And that means every one of us, men and women, if we will come to Jesus, he will not cast us away. And everything we lack, all the dreams and the visions and the hopes that we have had, don't give up on don't give up on them. But pursue the only one who can fulfill them righteously and without destroying you in the process. Pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Just lift our hands this morning. Father, we surrender this morning. At the beginning of this year, we, we, we take ourselves aside a moment. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our families, our homes. Thank you for Jesus. But we pray for that line to be drawn in the sand this morning. And that we will cross over into something supernatural. Supernatural. Repeat after me. I want, I want to, receive to receive the supernatural. I want, I want to receive, to receive the, supernatural. the supernatural. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Please be seated. Hallelujah. Many times people ask me, when, what time of the year is the best time to have a meeting if you're going to launch a ministry or do something new? And in reality, the best time is not the first few weeks of January. You need to wait until about now, the last week in January, because people's minds are too distracted. They're too busy. The Christmas, the New Year, and everything else. And in order to start this theme, isn't that gorgeous? Praise the Lord. In order to start this theme properly, for me anyway, I, I, I prefer to get Christmas and the busyness out of my way and then just focus with deep sincerity making room, proper, uh, thoughtful space in my life. That's what we've been doing at home. We have two sheets on the wall with, with a detailed path, not just for this time, but for the next few years. Um, because if I don't change, hey, nothing's going to change, right? I need to be serious. I need to make room. You know, when I lived in Glasgow, we had two beautiful gardens and we had fruit trees in the front and the back. They were apple trees. And I'd never had that before. I was absolutely shocked at the number of apples. 
that an apple tree produces. I mean, that, I hated apples because they just kept on, I was, they were rotten and I was walking in them. I thought, stop, stop producing. But you know what? I had to get black bags and throw the apples out. That, that isn't even supernatural. Correct? Even that quantity is not even supernatural. When you sow a seed, one seed, you get a gazillion return, correct? But the supernatural is even greater than that. Amen. So I thank God, I was saying that right, I thank God for everything that you've done in my life. And there has been phenomenal things as I look back. But the the Apostle Paul said, when you got saved, you received a measure of the Spirit, remember? And then he said this, but how I long to come to you so that you will receive the fullness of the Spirit, not just a measure. How I long to get to you so that you could receive the supernatural, not just by birth, right? You're born again, so you received a measure of the Spirit. And Paul said, I long to get to you. Because I know what's missing in you. It's baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's the supernatural. Hello. So as as a believer, because I've been there, you you, you get saved. You receive a measure of God. uh, And that sustains you. No problem. But it was never the Bible's design. Never, ever, ever. They were always intended to go out and receive supernatural power. There's no debating here. Amen. That was absolutely the intention. Today, I'm going to focus on men because next Sunday, I want to focus on women. Okay, so fair is fair. I want to talk about the making of a man, changing as a man. There's times in my life where I've been a very bad man. Don't look at me like that. Like all men. Okay, and there's times in my life when I've been a very, very good man. And I can tell you this for sure. I'm a lot happier when I'm a good man. Because being a bad man is, is, is almost natural because we're born in sin. Being bad doesn't help me. I feel horrible. I feel rotten. Amen? True? And so I am happy when I change. I'm happy when I'm growing as a man, when my abilities are getting greater. When I've got more self-control, when I'm actually changing. What makes me miserable is when I'm standing still. And that's, that is proof positive. Listen, man. It is proof positive that I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you're standing still. Because if you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's going to rocket you into the future. So it is proof positive if you can say to me that nothing's changing in my life. Well, if the Holy Spirit comes into your life, trust me, he is going to turn things upside down. Not just like the apple tree, you know, natural growth, but you're going to experience supernatural invasion. I love what C.S. Lewis once said. He said this, that a Christian is like a, a house. And when God comes to live in the house, The Christian thinks God may change the color of the paint on the walls. He may bring in new furniture. But Lewis said this, no, 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 no. God demolishes the house and then he digs up the foundation until there's nothing left of the previous thing. You are a new creation. Amen. And then he rebuilds the whole thing. So please, in Jesus' name, 
Quit trying to fix up the past. Quit trying to almost reinvent yourself and enter into the supernatural things and life that God has. Don't be limited by your past experience. Experience is terrible. Experience in, in one sense a very bad teacher. Oh, in my experience, in my experience, I hope that I enter into experiences that I've never had. Right? A new day. And I reiterate, I, I'm not just saying this, I really believe it. That's the number nine. <laughs> so significant with God. You could study it the rest of your days. One day we'll see scripture the way it is. Every letter, every Hebrew letter has meaning and significance. And this number nine, as we draw to the closing years of this planet and your life and mine, means victory for me. That's what it means. It means a special time of victory for me. I'm talking today about changing as a man. And next week for the women. And if you look at scripture... It's interesting, if you look at any of the lives, Gideon, Joshua, they all became incredibly effective people. But my opening point to you this morning is critical. God did not begin with them by giving them a great revelation of him. He began with these men by giving them a self-revelation. He began by showing them themselves. And I wonder with many, I wonder with me, did I go about that the wrong way? As a young Christian, was I full of great plans and great visions and great dreams for ministry? And yet I didn't even know, didn't even know myself. And yet when I see Joshua, when God but want, had great strategies that he was going to give him and plans. But the first thing he says to him, Joshua, you're weak. You lack courage. Be courageous. He starts to show him himself. This was the beginning of entering into this supernatural for all of these men. First of all, getting a proper handle on who I am. And many of you here are pastors with a lot of experience. And you know as well as I do, if, say, Pat here, Pat's a good example because she's very teachable. That's true. If, if say, say, Pat had a problem, and I go to Pat and I say, Pat, I need to talk to you. I've just noticed something wrong. Now, if she rejects me, you know, don't, don't, don't come near me. If she doesn't even listen, how's her future? Stand still. But as your pastor, and she is excellent on this, as your pastor, I come to you. If you open up, if you let people or God bring you a self-revelation, let them see that you're not all that, Right? What begins to happen is you're going to begin to change. Hello. And that's going to make room for step two with every one of these men. God came and showed them himself. So first of all, each of us men, and our wives are very good at this, need to know all of our errors. <laughs> right? Need to know ourselves through and through. And may God the Holy Spirit open my eyes and your eyes to that. Why? Yes, so that I change, but so that I can move on to the next step of seeing him. I got saved when I worked in social services. I also got called full time when I worked there. And I was a bit of a mess at the time. No, I'm not a mess now. <laughs> I was a bit of a mess at the time. And I remember it like yesterday. My overseer was a guy called John Jilks. 
And he was a brilliant man. Absolutely excellent. Socially, he was just fantastic. Very highly achieved person. And there's me and him side by side in the office. Guess who gets saved? Me. And I got saved, and he didn't. And I go into the office, I say, John, there's a God. Don't talk to me. John, John. And John wouldn't listen. And I remember not being saved long, one day going for a walk and saying, God, I mean, I feel like a mess. John Jilks is fantastic. Why did you save me? He would have been far better, you know. He would have been really useful in the kingdom. I mean, he's so qualified. He's so able. He's, he, he, he achieves everything he sets his hand to. Why didn't you save him instead of me? I don't get this. Two men. But as you read scripture, you realize God's choices, not like ours, are they? Would you have chosen those 12? Would you have chosen the 12 patriarchs? I mean, look at those lives. Idol worshippers, all sorts of people. So be very careful of having a HR approach to choice. Okay? God chose you. God saved you. And that, I mean, my knowledge of that really sets me free. So, and it gives me hope. It gives me trust and faith that the same God who began this good work has the ability to bring this to completion in me. He chose the 12 patriarchs. He chose the 12 apostles with all their failures and weaknesses and waywardness that we see and read. And just to open with, he also chose two great figures, which was Moses and Peter. I mean, when I say the names Moses and Peter, they're pretty impressive names, don't you think? I mean, it doesn't get much bigger. And you could be fooled into thinking, well, these were great men. Not always. Not always. They were made into great men. Oh, yes. Both of them have one thing in common. When Moses, remember, was a baby, he was placed among the reeds. Right? And God was saying, this child, this young man is a reed. Unstable in all his ways. When Jesus called Simon, remember... He changed his name to Peter. You should be called Peter because I'm going to change you from the man you are to the man I want you to be. And you'll be better. You'll be happier. Your heavenly reward will be greater. And so as a young man, definitely, and I'll talk about it in a moment, I was very like a reed. I was very weak, couldn't take pressure, etc., etc. But thank God he has the ability to change me if I will only cooperate with the process. Hello. I, I told you many times, I did not qualify in school. I was hopeless. Everything that I had was a minus. That was my life. But you know Reinhard Bonnke's story? When you come to Christ, he can change your minuses to a plus. Whatever they are. In my case, they were manifold. In your case, there may be less, but do not be discouraged. If you will follow the biblical steps, you too can be blessed, will be blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for our salvation. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for giving us the grace and the faith to come to you. We both have big families. You know, we were just recounting them the other night. 
I come from a family of nine. This morning they'll all be in bed or playing football because they don't follow God. And all around this building, the people are waking up. And every Sunday, they're watching television. They don't know God. And you know God. And the same God who began this has a plan. He has a plan. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I'm a, I, I feel like a, I feel like a, a, a reed. I feel weak. Join the club. If, and you may say to me, well, I'm not weak. Well, I hope God gives you a self, you know, image of yourself then and corrects that. Because a man is a man and that's that. Amen. How do I identify a reed? What do they look like? Sorry, that's the wrong page on there, I think. I wanted to look at this one first. That's the wrong page. That's the right one. The description of reeds is something we've looked at before. We did it when we did What's Love Got to Do With It? The five stages of male development. If you remember this, it begins with malehood. So all men, you're born male, but that doesn't make you a, doesn't make you a man. Not in a biblical sense. Not with the way we mean that, okay? So just being born male, I'm afraid that's not the answer. There's a lot more work to do after that. Secondly, we enter into the whole boyhood phase. And boys love to play games. Amen? Love to play games. And the trouble with this is, if we don't deal with this, we, we go on playing games in our marriage. And instead of sorting things out, boys can sulk. If you become a pastor, you can play games in your church. Because you still haven't grown up. Hello? Absolutely. So there's a boy inside me. Yes. There's a, there's a boy inside you. And I could kick myself into thinking that I've dealt with this. No, what I've done is I've got it under control. That's the truth. I've got it under control. But in the right situation, I can be just like a baby. What do you mean, yes? Yes. <laughs> Pat's going, yes, yes. <laughs> I was in Costa Coffee. I was in Costa Coffee sitting, it was packed, the place was packed, and there was no tables, so there was one table for like four or six people, and that's the only table, so I sat at the table, I got my coffee, and all, everybody else, all the other seats were taken. So this group comes in, this guy, they were tough men, I think they were Russian, this guy walks in, and they go to get all the coffees, they come, this guy comes over to my table, and he says, we're going to sit here. Yeah, no, excuse me, would you mind if we... No. We're going, yeah, here. <laughs> so I'm sitting in my seat. I put my hand over the next chair. I'm sitting here. <laughs> on all six? Yeah, I'm sitting here. Yeah, and I spread my hand out on the seat. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here. And he, because the place was crowded, he thought, yeah. And he walked back. He was furious. I didn't move. Yeah, they had nowhere to sit. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I just sat there casually, <laughs> like Mr. Bean. And they mingled around for a while, and it took my time. My coffee was cold, I don't care. <laughs> I sat there, finished my coffee, put my coat on, and leisurely walked to the door. What a baby. Isn't it? The boy inside that man drew out the boy in me. 
That's what happened. And you need to be... It's a bad example, but it's true, right? <laughs> Someone with anger, you say, well, I don't have anger issues. Let's see what comes out of you when you're confronted with someone who does. You're soon going to find out what gets stirred up within you. So I kid myself if I say that this is a done deal or a past issue. Men, it's got nothing to do with how old you are. Men can be boys. Yes, they can. And behave in a very immature way. So malehood is just the way I'm born. I'm born male. It doesn't make me a man in the biblical sense. The boyhood side of me, in one sense, that can be good, but it has to be managed. And then you've got the, the next phases of manhood and husbandhood and fatherhood. The only thing that teaches you to be a good husband is being a husband, right? I believe in pre-marriage but with all my heart, but in reality, you've got to be in the situation, haven't you? You've got to be in that situation and go through the experiences in order to, to know how to do things right. Let me say about husband and father, the, the one word that's the critical word here is provider. And in order for me not to be a reed, not to be weak, I must get into my head this one word. I am the provider. Provider of what? Spiritually. Number one, I am the provider for my family. In what? Spirituality. I'm the prophet, priest, and king of my home. I'm the one that calls us to prayer. I'm the one that gives you communion. I'm the one that sets the tithe or the offering. I'm the one that leads the family prayer. I'm the one that sets all of those things. I do not dump that on my wife because I am the God-given provider. Amen? Amen? And I thank God for my father. He was an excellent example on this. We had a long talk this morning just about females around the world and the stress and the pain that many wives have because men refuse this, this position or this office. They don't take it up. Sometimes women can work against that because of competition, you know, etc., etc., because women are strong. These are connecto. God made them strong. But you may have the strength, but you don't have the position. Okay? Hello? <laughs> you may have the power. You do, but you don't have the authority the man has. Okay? So be very careful of this so you can self-destruct. First, I am your provider spiritually. So I've got to seek God on your behalf, on my family's behalf. Secondly, emotionally. Right? To care for your wife, care for your children. See how they're doing and provide whatever they need. And of course, practically. But the only thing we ever hear of is you know, the practicalities. Folks, there's more to it. It's not that easy. And husbands, please. The Bible says, love your wives. Do you know what I say? Yeah. Pray for your wives. Pray with your wives. Speak out loud. They need to hear you. I prayed for you this morning. Great. Speak. Speak. Amen. Speak out loud. Let them hear you. That's moving. That's touching. Be careful, girls. Be careful. Next week we'll look at it, but very early hours of the morning, today we were just talking about our role, my role with you, and her role with me. And Mary's was saying some very wise things. She was a pastor for seven years in Colombia. What she was saying to me today, this is personal, <laughs> but she was saying to me, I want to be a wise wife, 
to you, not an ambitious one. Because she was very ambitious, very highly qualified, and the world did really well. And it's a very wise comment she made this morning. I don't want to automatically then transfer that into the church. So the attitude that she had in her academic career, I don't want to just transfer that into my church and into my marriage. Because she is one ambitious girl. Right? But I'm going to break that, and instead of being ambitious, I want to be wise. Right? Because, you see, you could be ambitious in ministry and lose your marriage. That's the problem. And I could cry now because I, I how many examples do you want? How many examples do you want me to recall? I remember one, God told me to go and speak to this guy. Every, he's so successful in ministry. Every time I saw him, one success after another. But I'm not impressed by that. I'm looking at the sad woman sitting at the back, his wife. And eventually I did go and I said, you know what, mate? This is what we call pseudo-success. It's not real success. Because your responsibilities are more than just ministry, my friend. And I'm not impressed with what I see. He wasn't interested. She divorced him, actually. She walked out on him, took the kids and everything else. Lost everything. It's easy to be ambitious in the kingdom. Very easy. You can feel like it's a good motive. But... As a husband and father, as a wife and mother, I have to be wise. Wise. And it's not so simple just to build ministry. That's, to be honest with you, that's easy. In comparison to building both. (laughs) The hard bit is doing both. Hello? Yeah, well, you take my word for it. If you haven't been there, you will go there. The hard bit is doing both, fulfilling both principles. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you, you, you bring in your mint and your dill and your rue, but you don't understand the principles, right? And I, 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 I agree with you. Let's build a wise marriage and grow in the principles that God would give us. I'll say that another thing she said to me this morning, which I thought was very interesting. She said, Mike, I have the ability more than anybody to destroy your self-esteem with the way I treat you. Because if I disrespect you, if I ignore you or override your authority, because she can do it, because she's strong. She's a woman, isn't she? Ezer Kenegdo. He said, I could easily just be cheeky or this or that and show my strength. And she said, but if I did that, I would be eroding your self-esteem. And then as a man, Adam hid. But the end result is that you, Mike, would withdraw from me and then I won't even have respect for you. Because you would have dominated me, correct? Don't try it. You would have dominated me. Hallelujah. Amen? And then, and this is the typical situation in many homes. You have men who are withdrawn. This is not my topic for today, but you have men who are withdrawn. And you have women who are frazzled, emotional wrecks, and worn out. Okay? How many homes? Many, 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 many homes. What's the answer? The man. It always was and it always will be. You can say the woman is, no, the man has to take his position. Four times more in scripture to men than women. Four times. The man has to take his position. Once he's taken that position, the woman, back off. Back off, let him do it. 
Because many times when the man starts to take that role, the woman says, hang on, that's my place. No, that's not your place. That was your place because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. But once he starts doing what he's supposed to do, shh, right? And you can have a marriage revival. Amen? And you'll end up fulfilling not just your call in life, but you'll finish with a happy home as well. Instead of losing one to achieve the other. No simple, huh? Big responsibilities. Being a man is a responsibility. Provider. Emotionally, practically, and spiritually. But these reeds in scripture, as you look at them, they're unstable. That's what a reed is. They can be moody. No good. You can be insecure. And as a young man, I was very insecure. Maybe you find that hard to believe now, but I was incredibly shy and insecure. I said to you a few weeks ago, I lived in a home for nurses. And the guy next door to me, I was 17 years old. And the man next door to me was my friend, Mick. And he got his first ghetto blaster back in the days when we used to have those things. And he would boom, bidi, boom, bidi, boom, bidi, boom, bidi, boom, right? Like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. I was so insecure as a young man, I didn't even tell him to turn it down. I used to go and sleep downstairs and then I moved rooms. So insecure. But I withdrew my friendship from him. He was my mate. But rather than, as a boy, rather than actually walk up and say, I've got a problem with what you're doing. I was so insecure, I couldn't even do that. Are you with me? And these are, you know, boyish characteristics. And today, I hope, if I have a problem, again, it is a good example in marriage, because in marriages you will find many people who have withdrawn from one another. And it's not a ghetto blaster, it's something else. Something happened and you have drifted apart because of it. And if I met that man now, if I was in that situation today, <laughs> can I talk to you about the noise, please? Nicely. But I'm not insecure in the way I was. And you do, like God will show you you. This morning, make an assessment of yourself. And let God begin to show you himself. And how that can become your reality. Reeds are unstable, moody, insecure. They need lots of praise. And they can't take pressure. I guess that's the biggest one for me as a, uh, someone who appoints leaders. That's a really serious one. Because you have to be able to take the pressure that goes not just with ordinary life, but with extra spiritual warfare. So step one, I let God identify my problems. I think this is similar to what Sandra was saying yesterday and Pat was saying this morning, right? I, I must let God identify my problems. And if I've been running away from correction, stop in 2019. Amen? Stop this year. Secondly, he will show me himself. But, I mean, this is my central point, so please hear me on this. Maybe you've tried to grow in the past. And maybe it's been a passion and a drive for you. I just want to say one thing. Would you let the Holy Spirit take it from here? I'm not talking about abdication of your responsibility. I'll come to that in a moment. I'm talking about this theme. Supernatural increase. Would you let the Holy Spirit in? Amen? And just see the difference. I, I, years ago, I had an incredibly difficult situation. I had a man who was mentally ill. 
and he had been in psychiatric hospital. He'd been in and out and in and out. And when he was out and he was stable, we were able to use him in different ministries and, different, and that was fine. But when he was uh, ill, we couldn't use him. And this particular time he came back, he was not well. Just got out of hospital and he was not well. And he sent me a text or whatever said, I want to be the youth leader. You see, and I got to meet him. And the great problem for me was I had to go there. I feel very sorry for him. His mind is not working right. He's not well. And I, I really remember that day because I was in pain. Lord, I don't want to hurt him. You cannot lead the youth. I can't let you. And I, I went to that. But you know what? As a pastor, I can deal with that myself. Or I can let the Holy Spirit deal. Amen? There's two ways of everything here. And I remember as I walked down to that coffee shop, I said, Lord, would you, would you deal with him? What do I do? I do not want to hurt this man. And I had a word from the Lord. Go and tell him that I love him. Very simple. And I can see that he was going to risk becoming mentally ill and going back into a hospital in order to serve the Lord. Do you understand that? Because he was out, he was free, but the pressure of that position would have driven him back in. You see? So I sat down with him and I said, friend, you can't be the youth leader. I'm sorry, but God spoke to me and he said that he loves you and he can see your love for him, that you're even willing to risk becoming sick again. And going back to hospital, that's fantastic love for God. Do you know both of us just broke down and we cried and cried and cried and cried. And when we both finished, he turned to me and he said, Pastor Mike, I don't need to be the youth leader. I just wanted to know that everything was okay with God. Hallelujah. So I shook hands. He went off on cloud nine and I'm a dog thinking, thank God I relied on the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And in your trials, in your life, I want you to, I don't know where you're at. I don't know you well enough. You know you, I hope. In your life, I want you to move over to the Holy Spirit dealing with you. The Holy Spirit strengthening you, imparting to you. Just like Paul said, I long that you would receive the fullness of the Spirit. Amen. So I think most of us will start as reeds if we do let God reveal who we are to him. Secondly, stones is the second category that you will see in scripture. And in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5, the apostle Peter makes a well-known statement there about make every effort to, I really messed this up today folks, sorry. Make every effort to add to your faith, goodness to your goodness, knowledge to your knowledge, perseverance to your perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, kindness, and brotherly love. But I, w I just want to make one point here because it's important for development. When he said to you, make every effort, the word effort is the word kerigo. It means conductor. And he's referring, he's making a very serious point in that letter. A carigo was a, a, a conductor or a music organizer who organized great events for the emperor or the royalty of the day. But guess what? At their own expense. They paid for everything. 
So the person had the ability to organize this great event for the emperor, but he paid all the musicians, paid everyone who would take part, hired the venue, and then would invite the person along, the emperor, whatever, would be invited, and this whole thing would be done at whose expense? <laughs> the Corrigo's expense. And Peter's making a very important point here. By all means, we receive the Spirit, right? But he's saying, make every effort at your expense to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge perseverance. So he puts it back in your court. I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking it's all Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us, but Peter's balancing act here is very important for me. Amen? Because I have a part to play. Look, I mean, goodness, for example. It is not difficult to be bad. It's difficult to be good. <laughs> right? Correct. You don't have to plant weeds. Weeds grow. You have to plant flowers. You don't have to look after weeds. Right? They grow like crazy. You have to look after flowers. And as a Christian, that's what you are. And Peter's point is important. Go after knowledge. Right? Get, get Bible. Attend LIW. Make every effort to be good because your nature could make you bad. Seek knowledge. Right? Perseverance, godliness, kindness. Don't answer this. Are you kind? <laughs> Are you kind? And Father, I pray that I will make every effort every effort like that Corrigo at my expense to exercise these disciplines and these attributes. Amen. Need a little praise. I want to just focus on that one point here. Uh, excuse me, guys. There it is. In terms of me becoming a stone, a cornerstone in the kingdom of God in the church, and we all want to do that. We've been reeds and God is working on us as men and women. I want to move on, but I want to just draw out one of these characteristics of a stone, and that is the sacrificial one. And just how much sacrifice am I making? Remember these three characteristics here. Duty, service, and sacrifice. Three different things. My duties are, give me some duties. Going to church on Sunday. Okay? Is that a sacrifice? It is absolutely not a sacrifice. Okay? Paying your tithes. Is that a sacrifice? Absolutely not a sacrifice. Okay? The duties of a Christian are manifold. Duty is just the normal Christian life. Service is my gifting. So the gospels speak of all three. Okay? Jesus spoke of all three. You've only done your duty. The servant returns home. Does he get a round of applause from the master? No, because he's only done his duty. Okay? Service is my gifting. And then sacrifice is everything over and above my duties and my service. Did you get that? It's important. I tell you why it's important. Because if a husband comes home and he makes you feel as if he's made a sacrifice for providing, it's your duty. If a wife comes home and she has to tidy the house or whatever it is. And she makes her husband feel like it's a... No, it's not. Well, it's very quiet today, isn't it? Okay? Now, what I'm saying here, folks, this is very important if you want to be a pillar. 
because we're only halfway. We're only halfway. And many individuals, husbands, wives, kids, members, leaders, churches, pastors, everybody, everything is not a sacrifice, folks. Everything is not a sacrifice. You need to get a very, because you'll never continue, you're going to have a woe is me self-pity attitude. You're going to think you're serving way beyond the measure that you actually are serving. Do you know what? I stopped a guy, Brian, in the evangelism outside one Tuesday morning. This guy was walking down the street. So I stopped him and I said, would you like to come and pray or whatever, talk to you? And he turned to me and said, I've just come from church. I said, okay, that's great. I said, what church was that? And he said, the, the, the Greek church just here. That's where I go. I said, okay. I said, well, actually, we've got a prayer meeting here. There's one on Tuesday and Wednesday. And he kept listening. And he said, so what's the prayer meeting? I said, there's one on Tuesday and there's one on Wednesday. And he looked at me and he said, every day I pray. Every day I go to this church. And he was, he was making a point. It's not a sacrifice to me. Are you calling it an effort or a sacrifice to just attend a prayer meeting? So I silenced he really did. He silenced me, you know, because I could sense great sincerity from him. And I think he felt from me um, that it was too shallow. He was a much older man than me. And he, was, he, was, he, was, he wasn't humiliating me. He was more or less saying, do you know what, boy? Keep coming. Because I can sense that you think you're sacrificing. You're not. Every day. Bye. <laughs> See you next week. Good point, isn't it? Good point. I don't need a pity party because I'm a housewife. I don't need a pity party because I'm a husband. I don't need a pity party because I have to lead my ministry in the church and start feeling sorry for myself. That's not a stone, is it? Reeds? That's a reed. I need lots of praise. I need to move on to become a stone that understands this is not sacrifice. Do you know what sacrifice is? The Apostle Paul turning his cross upside down. That sacrifice. 21 years in prison for Watchman Nee. That sacrifice. And our brothers and sisters around the world who all you have to say is I no longer follow Jesus and you can go. Or you're like Pastor Johan in Glasgow. His brother is in a, in a shipping container. Because he will not renounce Christ. That's good. Amen. He's gone beyond his duties. Beyond his service. And refuses to renounce Christ. Amen. In Eritrea. Pastor Johann's sister was in the same container. But they gave no explanation. One day they turned up. Opened the container. And just said she could go. I guess there's prayer for you. They just let her go. But his brother's a pastor is still there. So please. Can you imagine God. If I call it sacrifice. When he sees these people in true sacrifice. And then he hears me saying, the little that I do is sacrifice. Really? Amen? Reads to stones. Oh, Jesus. I grew up in a war zone in Belfast where there were bombs and bullets constantly at night. Boom, 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 bang. And this one day, one of the worst days we ever had, someone, my sister, I think it was, came bursting into the house and said, John Heathcliff's shot dead. So John Heathcliff was two doors up from our house, used to babysit us sometimes. 
And we all ran out of the house, went down the street. And what had happened was uh, terrorists had come, knocked the door. John came to the door and they put three bullets in his chest, killed him and ran off. But what happened was John's father was coming to visit. And the fact just at that moment. So the guys ran off. His father walked in the door, saw the dead son and dropped dead. So we had two dead bodies in the hall, in the door, one outside, one inside. And we had three kids and the wife screaming inside. And there was about 10, 15 minute delay before the army came and the police came. So I was there with my nine brothers and sisters and my mother and father. My, my mother was not very good at controlling her emotions. So she was screaming. My sisters were screaming. Everybody was screaming. My father, normally very stable, was in chaos. I said, what's going to happen next? I think that's what he was thinking of as a father. Is anybody else going to get shot? There was chaos. But in the midst of that group, there was one 89-year-old woman, my grandmother. She's been around a lot longer. And I will never forget this, because I was a child. I was frightened by the reaction of everybody. Everybody's frightened. And then I remember I saw that elderly woman with great stone. Not a reed. Not shaken by the chaos. And she, and she started to speak, because she was quiet. Started to speak. Calm down. Come in here. Go inside. And she took authority over. I tell you, don't respect the elderly. <laughs> yeah, The years suddenly became very obvious. The years, the experience came to the surface. And she remained not as a reed, but as an absolute rock in that moment. And you can analyze yourself in times of crisis. How do you behave? The last category that each of us in this room, and certainly with LFC, you guys can become, and indeed many of you already are, pillars of the church of God on this earth. What a wonderful thing. And Peter and Paul both talk of pillars, and they even tell us how to identify. So let me ask you a question. Are you a pillar? Are you a pillar, Tim? Right? Are you a pillar, Sandra? Ask yourself that question. And the wonderful thing about the Bible is it gives you the answer. When I was a child, not a pillar. I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I acted like a child. But now I am a man. I no longer behave that way. So you can tell, not just for others, but for yourself as well. How do I think? How do I speak? What, I don't mean your speech in this room. I mean your speech in private to your friends. Amen. How do I speak? What is my speech? Is it negative? Is it gossip? Is it lies? Is it what is it? When I was a child, I talked like a child. I acted like a child. Reasoning, that means thinking, decisions. I reasoned like a child. And you make your own analysis today. I'll say this for the guys in scripture. There was huge change in them on this issue. The apostle Paul, if you remember, rejected a young man called John Mark because he felt he was immature. And they said, could he go on a mission trip? And Paul said, no, I don't want this man. He's not capable. And then you come back a few years later, and what does Paul say? What happened to that young guy? What happened to him? And he says, bring him with you. There's a change. There's a reed, temperamental, moody, 
Paul, and now a few stripes on your back, a little bit of suffering. Where is that young man that I would be able to help him and bring him on the same way the Lord brought me on? The apostle Peter, he was determined to do everything in his own strength. Remember? Cut the soldier's ear off. Stop it, Peter. But the same Peter renounced all his strength. Jesus, the same Peter. And I'm sure this, maybe this point will escape you. But as a leader, as an apostle, you have power, believe me. And you can pray. I don't like doing it. You can pray and you can see things. You can see things happen, believe me. And Peter could have protected himself, but he didn't. Go ahead and crucify me. No prayer. Like Jesus said, don't you realize that I could call down, like Elijah, fire from on high. But Peter didn't do it because he's a pillar. He had changed. I'm not going to use my own strength anymore. I did that when I was younger. And Jesus rebuked me for it. And then you've got David, ultimately. And lastly, David who wanted to kill everybody. And then in the end, he said, is there anybody left? And ended up looking after Mephibosheth, right? We could add a hundred things here. But I'm going to close with this example. Eyes forward, please give me your attention. I'm almost done. Uh, Timothy, please come. Edgar. Brandon, come please. Thanks, guys. Would you put your arms around one another here? See the way pillars... A pillar is never alone. Do you ever see a pillar on its own? It's because the building falls down. A, a, a pillar is never alone. A pillar is a team player. And when this one is weak, the other two, look, they're supporting. Look at that. Look at that. And if he's weak, he's got support. Pillars are never independent and certainly not competitive. This is not about you, Tim. This is about the building. It's about the building. So it's not, nothing to do with the individuals. A pillar has a mind for the kingdom and the church. And take the... Is anybody confused? No one's confused. If you look at the bricks in a wall, are the bricks confused? No. Each brick, this is my place. What's your problem? I know my place. I've found my place. Pillars, if you're a pillar, you know your place. Because once you were a reed, but then you became teachable. And then you became a stone. Rock solid in troubled times. And if you persevere, you become a pillar. And there's great blessings in that. It's called fellowship and common union. When you get together with brothers who actually serve with the same sacrificial nature for the purpose of the kingdom. Thank you, guys. I promise I'll finish with this example, but it's an important example. So just let me conclude. Years ago, I sold some properties and what have you, and I had some cash. And this one day, I got a word from the Lord, and God said, give X, Y, Z, it's a lot of money, to Pastor Rick Seward. I thought, ask someone else about just you. Um, okay, it was a clear word. And sometimes, the best thing you can do is just act. Sometimes. If you start overthinking, you can lose it, you know. And it was one of those occasions where I just thought, you know, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to think about this. I heard what I heard, 
and I'm going to give this. So I organized it, did the transfer and everything else. What happened? A couple of weeks go by or whatever, and I get a phone call from Rick. And I was following his schedule. I know where he is. He's preaching in this conference. He's doing this. He's being a pillar. He's doing all sorts of stuff. But he rang me. I remember I was in Glasgow. I said, hi, Mike. Oh, hiya. Thank you so much. I said, no problem, no problem. Just I felt God say to me to give it. And he said, I haven't told anybody. But we have massive problems. I sought the Lord. I've got financial problems because of a health bill. And I sought the Lord and I felt to tell no one but to trust God to be my provider. And I've been waiting and your money came. Thank you. Thank you. That's no problem. You're welcome. Why do I say that? I say that because of this. I was following his schedule because I'd sent him the money. He's preaching in this conference. He's preaching in that conference. But at the same time as being a pillar, he's looking after the family. You get my point? Very good example. Very good example to follow. And yet no one knew about the problems at home. No one knew about that. But that is a cracking example for you and me to follow. Sacrificial balance in my life. I pray that every one of you here and all of those listening around the world, that your end is excellent. And that even if you began as a reed like me, maybe today, right now you're a reed, it's okay. That's the good news of the gospel. God can take you, if you let him in, he has to be able to correct you, right? These are the rules of the game. You must be open to correction. Okay, that's day one. Let the correction in, you'll become a stone, and eventually he'll trust you with that highly honored position of a pillar in the church. The making of a man. Next week, the making of a woman. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Let's invite the worship team. Uh, Pastor Michael, would you pray to close for us? Just prepare yourself. I just ask Michael as he's leading our men and also preparing the seminar to, to pray for us as a church and certainly for the men here to cover us and to prepare us. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We give you praise, Lord. We honor your name in Jesus name for the whole of this house Lord for our families and especially Lord my God for the men that Lord you've chosen to lead your families and to lead your church Lord we thank you for the responsibilities that we have Lord we thank you for the challenges that we go through we thank you Lord for the things that we face but we also thank you for the grace that you've given to us Lord even the ability to think and be able to um, solve issues and challenges, Lord. We thank you for the wisdom, Lord, to keep the families together. We thank you, Lord, my God, for the grace to be able to come to lead the family to come. We thank you for the grace to lead the church. We thank you for the power, Lord, to move away from our weakness into a place of strength that you've given unto us, Lord. We thank you for the clear mind. We thank you for peace that we enjoy from you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that when things be become tougher, Lord, you always... Give us, Lord, a place of rest, a place of victory, a place of rescue. 
my prayer this morning that you continue to bless us with law this that you've given unto us that we shall continually lord lead not only the families that you've given to us but every family that we come into contact with and also to lead your church lord to lead the world to lead the community law to the place that you want all of us to be I give you praise, I give you glory, I give you honor. I commit every man, Lord, here to you. Not only those here, but every man that we know. That we shall continue to live under your power, under your grace, and under your spirit, Lord. That our, our deeds will only represent what we receive and what we take from you by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray with thanksgiving. Amen. We praise God for that amazing word. Uh, would you take a seat for a minute? I have a few things to remind.